So the title of this message is Religion Doesn't Work. Uh, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to read you uh, 36 verses, uh, and you're going to deal with it. Uh, uh, one of the, some of the most scathing remarks that Jesus gave to the religious leaders in all of the New Testament. Uh, I, I would like you to pick up on his tone. Uh, I'm, I'm assuming a little bit what his tone might have been by the exclamation marks behind certain words. Uh, but also, I, I want you to pick up on what he's really getting at. Because uh, uh, there's been a lot of talk in the last decade about religion versus relationship. And so many people uh, are running around saying, I don't want anything to do with religion. Uh, uh, I just want a relationship with Jesus. And I understand what they're trying to say, what they're trying to communicate. But the truth of the matter is we're all religious. There's nothing wrong with religion. We're religious to be here every single Sunday. Um, uh, If you have a a, a consistent prayer life, if you have a a consistent devotion time with God, you religiously have uh, uh, carved out some time to be uh, in the presence of God. If I go to Saltgrass, I will religiously get the carrot cake uh, at Saltgrass. Uh, I have some religious uh, proclivities. So there's nothing wrong uh, with the word, and I want you to hear Jesus' uh, expression as it relates to uh, the people carrying the religion. So if you have Matthew chapter number 23, starting at uh, the first verse, it says this. And, and, and just, j- just so you understand the context here, that first line, Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, okay? Uh, he, he's putting all the religious leaders on blast right now. Jesus said to the crowds and to his religious leaders, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees are the official interpreters of the law of Moses. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Don't let anyone call you rabbi. For you have only one teacher, and all of you are equal as brothers and sisters. And don't address anyone here on earth as father, for only God in heaven is your spiritual father. And don't let anyone call you teacher, for you have only one teacher, the Messiah. The greatest among you must be a servant, but those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites! There's an exclamation mark. For you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You won't go in yourselves and you don't let others enter either. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and Pharisees? Hypocrites! Said it again. Get used to that. For you cross land and sea to make one convert. And then you turn that person into twice the child of hell. You yourselves are. Jesus! It's tense right now. 
blind guides. What sorrow awaits you? For you say that it means nothing to swear by God's temple, but that it is binding to swear by the gold in the temple. Blind fools. Which is more important, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? And you say that you swear by the altar is not binding, but to swear by the gifts on the altar is binding. How blind! For which is more important, the gift on the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? When you swear by the altar, you are swearing by it and by everything on it. And when you swear by the temple, you are swearing by it and by God who lives in it. And when you swear by heaven, you are swearing by the throne of God and by God who sits on the throne. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law and you, hypo- and you Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes. Thank you for saying that, Jesus. Uh, but do not neglect the more important things. Blind guides. You strain your water so you won't accidentally swallow a gnat, but you swallow a camel. This is harsh. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you are so careful to clean the outside of your cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first wash the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will become clean too. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and Pharisees, hypocrites? He is not letting up. For you are like whitewashed tombs, beautiful on the outside, but filled on the inside with dead people's bones and all sorts of impurity. Outwardly, you look like righteous people, but inwardly, your hearts are filled with hypocrisy and lawlessness. What sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites? For you build tombs for the prophets your ancestors killed, and you decorate the monuments of the godly people your ancestors destroyed. Then you say, if we had lived in those days of the ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started. Snakes! It's so gangster. Sons of vipers! How... Will you escape the judgment of hell? Therefore, I am sending you prophets and wise men and teachers of religious law. But you will kill some by crucifixion and you will flog others with whips in your synagogues, chasing them from city to city. As a result, you will be held responsible for the murder of all godly people of all time. From the murder of righteous Abel, the beginning. We're talking Genesis 4. To the murder of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you killed in the temple between the sanctuary and the altar. I tell you the truth, the disjudgment will fall on this very generation. Take a breath. So I want to talk to you for the next few moments from the subject, religion doesn't work. Bow your heads, let's pray, shall we, real quick. Lord, help us not be religious so we don't get blasted and called hypocrites. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Point number one, write this down. And here's what I want you to write uh, before it. My top two reasons, uh, religion doesn't work. I only have two reasons it doesn't work. Uh, And then I have one reason of what we should do with it. So that'll be my third point. But but I only have my top two reasons uh, why religion doesn't work. Point number one, write this down, the look of it. Number one reason religion doesn't work is the look of it. 
Here's what it says in verses 3 through 7. Uh, don't practice. So practice and obey whatever they tell you, uh, but don't follow their example. For they don't practice what they teach. They crush people with unbearable religious demands and never lift a finger to ease the burden. Everything they do is for show. On their arms, they wear extra boxes with scripture verses inside, and they wear robes uh, with extra long tassels, and they love to sit at the head table at banquets and in the seats of honor in the synagogues. They love to receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi. Point number one, the reason why religion doesn't work is the look of it. Let me tell you why the look doesn't work for Jesus, because it doesn't look like him. I'm not talking about the liturgy of the church. I'm not talking about a choir robe, if that's what you were raised in. I'm not, I'm not talking about wearing a, a suit and a tie, if that were what you were raised in. That, that doesn't indicate whether you have a, a religious spirit. It's the heart behind what you're doing that indicates if you have a religious spirit or not. And here's what Jesus says in the most scathing way. It doesn't work. If, if, if you're walking around and everything you do is just for the show, your, your heart is far from me. If, if, if you come to church to see if anyone's looking, you have the wrong motive for coming to church. If the reason why you bought a, a, a certain outfit is for the compliments at church, you are showing up for the wrong reason. If 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 you have a certain title or distinction that you demand to go by. Then you care more about your verb than your noun. That's why every engaged class, when people go through, I tell I've told everyone that calls resident that calls Embassy City home. They're residents of this community. Call me Tim because that's my name. Pastor is my verb. That's what I do. Pastor Tim, therefore, is redundant if you already know I'm a pastor. (laughs) Who exactly are you reminding? I already know. And you already know. So Tim is fine. Uh, If I was Usain Bolt, which I'm not, but if I was, and I dominated track and field for three different Olympics and came home with nine gold medals, you wouldn't heretofore uh, refer to me as Sprinter Tim. You you would not call me the thing I did. You would call me who I am. Uh, I, I I don't have time to synthesize all the scriptures that are in my head on this, Uh, But there were some men in the book of Acts. uh, There were seven sons of a man named Siva or Skiva. Some people pronounce it. Skiva just sounds weird, like a disease. So (laughs) I just want to smooth it over and say Siva. Siva has seven sons and uh, they they got influenced by uh, and really encouraged by Paul's ministry. And they said, we're going to go out and start doing uh, what Paul does and preaching in the name of Paul's God. Never mind, we need to meet him. We're just going to start preaching in the name of Paul's God. And they come up to a man that's demon-possessed, and this demon-possessed man, uh, uh, you know, is kind of uh, 
bowing up against them. And 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 they said, in the name of the God that Paul preaches about, come out of that man. They're talking to the demon (laughs) and the demon. It looks like all seven fingers are pointing at me. Just wanted to make sure it's me. Um, y'all remember the story, how it goes? Um, I think the demon said something like, apostles I know, and prophets I know, and evangelists I know, and pastors I know, and teachers I know, but who are you? Is that what it said? It's not what it said, right? I think he said something like, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? Demons don't care about titles. You call yourself the apostle, prophet, evangelist of the second high pastoral teaching of the second dias spirit, jurisdictional, regional bishop of the most high to the third corner of Tennessee. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you will get beat up. Because religion doesn't work. So so if, if, if it's the look of it that you think is going to bring you into some type of special relationship with God, you, you, you have severely disconnected yourself from the Christ who came to redeem the law that these religious people were teaching about. I would like you to go to uh, the book of Philippians, chapter number two. The book of Philippians, chapter number two. This is why the look of it is so bothersome to Jesus. Philippians chapter number two, starting at the third verse, says this. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. That is the antithesis of religious spirits. The Pharisees wanted to put themselves in positions of honor where they could be looked at as very, very important. To this day, if you were to take a trip to Jerusalem, which my wife and I did in 2015, you would find that uh, uh, the, the, the high priests and the rabbis still wear the boxes on their wrist and some even on their head. They have a headband with a box with scriptures on the inside of it. Now, I've heard about keeping Jesus on your mind. (laughs) But if I have to wear a headband with scriptures on the inside, if I have to wear a box on my wrist with the Old Testament on the inside to keep it, I know this is going to hurt somebody, but let me preface and say I have tattoos. If I have to write all my scriptures on my body to like feel like I'm I'm closer to him. Ephesians 2.10 is right here. (laughs) Now, if you're doing it, it means something to you. That's fine. I'm not against tattoos. But what I'm saying is, what is the purpose really behind it? Because Jesus is not up there like, oh, sweet. They'll really remember the word now. It's on their wrist. On their back, which you're going to need a mirror. You're actually going to need two mirrors. So here's what here's what Paul says. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others, too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Are you ready? This is why he doesn't like the look of it. 
Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all all of the names. Hear, hear me. The name above all of the names, not a title. We know that he's wonderful counselor, prince of peace, mighty God. The government's on his shoulders. El Shaddai, God's more than enough. El, El Rohi, all, all, okay, all of it, okay? Jehovah, everything, okay? We, we know he's the embodiment of, embodiment of that. But here's what it says. He was given a name that's above all other names. That at that name, at the name of Jesus, every, not his title, Demons are not going to bow because you say in the name of the Savior, in the name of the crucified, in the name of Christ's anointed. He was given a name. That name is above all names. Demons tremble at that name. Angels bow in reverence to that name. And everyone on earth will, too. Set that name. OK, at that. I'll tell you this, Mike. It's the business. <laughs> That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God, the father. Why does he hate the look? Because it looks nothing like him. For every robe the high priest put on. If Christ were to walk around transfigured like he did. On the mount, he would have blinded his entire city. Do you know that Christ looks so regular? He looks so different from the movie Jesus that you've watched. (laughs) That Judas had to kiss him on the cheek because he blended in so well with his other disciples that if Judas would have kissed Peter, they would have been like, okay, take him. Must be Jesus. He wasn't in gleaming white robes while everybody else was in subdued hues to make him look better. Jesus didn't come out with his robe on and be like, Peter, I need you to change that. Uh, That's a little bit too white. We'll get confused with my holiness and your sinful nature. So uh, go with beige. Maybe taupe. If you go to taupe color, I'll even take eggshell. Just don't wear gleaming white like me. Jesus was really, really regular. Like so regular, he went to dinner with people that religious people would have never been to dinner with. He hates the look of it. So let's not have that look. Again, it's not in what you have on. It's in your heart. Point number two, write this down. Uh, the sound of it. He doesn't, the two re, top re, reasons religion doesn't work, the, the look of it is number one, uh, and the sound of it is number two. If you go back to Matthew chapter number 23, I'll read you uh, verse number 13. Here's what it says. Uh, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of religious law, and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, You won't go in yourselves. 
And you don't let others enter either. Here was what was so corrupt that frustrated Jesus so much about the religious teachers is the teaching that they gave placed incredibly harsh restrictions on people that were trying to do their best to live for God. The, the law is enough. If God just left us with the Ten Commandments, we have enough work on our hands to obey those. I don't think you need to add 613 other commandments when we should wash, when we should go out, when we should step back in. And here's what's Jesus's problem. This is from uh, an excerpt from a commentary I read because I want you to have the context of hypocrisy. When we think about hypocrisy, uh, we think of somebody that's two-faced from the Greek, right? Hypocrisy. There's, I see one face and you've put another face uh, on top of that face. This is not the type of hypocrisy uh, that Jesus was talking about. Here's what it says in the commentary. In English, uh, uh, hypocrisy describes a contradiction between reality and appearance. That's what we just talked about, hypocrisy, okay? Uh, But in biblical usage, hypocrisy is misperceiving God's will. Leading people astray and thus incurring God's judgment. Tell me if this sounds familiar. Coupled with this often is a desire for prestige and power, abuse of teaching authority, false teachings on doctrine or practice, and preoccupation with ethical (laughs) minutiae. An accurate English term for this combination of factors is hearsay. Uh, Let's go through them, shall we? If you go to a baseball game, you're going to hell. If you wear a beard, you're going to hell. If you have a clean face, you're going to hell. Uh, You have to wear white when you come into church or you're going to hell. Um, You better be here at every service that we have, the Sunday morning service, the Sunday evening service, the Tuesday Bible study service, the Wednesday main Bible study service, the Thursday preparing for Sunday again service. And if you miss any of those services, you may not be right with God. Anybody beside me ever experienced a little bit of minutia? Um, uh, hey, I was watching Netflix. Ooh. The devil is a lie. Well, I was actually watching Daredevil, and that wasn't a lie. Um, Don't watch TV. That's the one-eyed demon. I just got a third of people in the room. Oh, God. They just had a ridiculous flashback. Uh, It's the unbearable regulations on top of what the Holy Spirit's supposed to be convicting us of. Now, there are things that are just plain sin. I don't have to go through a list of those today. Uh, But here's what I believe. I believe the Holy Spirit convicts people of sin. I, I, I teach against sin. I teach that we should live a life that is worthy of what Jesus did on the cross. But I also believe 
that the Holy Spirit is the main person, because Scripture says so, that convicts people of their sins. So to come to church every weekend to get a list of what not to do sounds and turns people off. Do you know what a lot of people say about church? Why, why every church in DFW doesn't have 50,000 people in it? Oh, it's just a bunch of rules and regulations. You, you know what they're responding to? Religion. They're responding to the religious dogma that has so much extra on top of living a life for Jesus Christ. And here's what Jesus said. The sound of that is not appealing to anybody. And it does not work. He says, here's what happens because you do that. The people that you want in the kingdom, they never come into the kingdom. They just wind up coming into your castle. I'm not coming against anybody's denomination, anybody's upbringing, whatever. But if you've been under religious dogma, you probably never made it to the kingdom. You just made it to your denominational's door. And then it gets cult-like because if you don't do this this way, whoever doesn't do what we're doing is not really, they don't really have it. I actually went to a church. Uh, I had been saved, I don't think I had been saved 90 days. And I went to a church. Uh, that believed uh, you weren't saved unless you spoke in tongues. Unless you spoke in tongues, you were not saved. Well, when I got saved, uh, I I didn't have a prayer language. I wasn't speaking in tongues. And so I I go to this Bible study because, you know, when you first get saved, your appetite opens up and you just want to devour everything. And sometimes you got to check that plate. Check the chef, check the plate. Just what is on my plate? Who? It's chicken, but where'd it come from? Like, what, who? It's the same place McDonald's gets their chicken? Because if it's so, this is like chicken and silly putty mixed together. And it might stay in my system for seven years. You missed the whole thing. It might stay in my system If it's good food, it'll come in and come straight out. If it's bad food, it'll get in you. It'll be hard to come out. And this is why people leave the church. Because they can't get the bad food out of their system. So they wind up having a grudge and going on a fast from the truth. Because they were eating dog food. I know it's tight. So I go to this church, and the, and the guy said, yeah, uh, you, if you don't speak in tongues, uh, you're not saved. And so I hadn't spoken in tongues yet, but, but I knew I was saved because I was being convicted for all my sins. Like, I was like, there ain't no half Jesus in this. I'm fully convicted of all of my sins. And, um, and then he, this guy got up, and he was kind of sheepish, and he just said, um, well, my, I've never heard my grandmother. My, my grandmother's a devout woman of God, and I, I've never heard her. Uh, speak in tongues and and he said oh well well." (laughs) like just threw his hand up like implying like well well, there it is well she doesn't have it yet so I came home to my mommy because that's what I do (laughs) went home to my mommy because I got saved in my parents church God way God's way holiness fellowship is where I got gave my life to Christ January 14th 1996 so what I would love to do when I came home as a teenager is come home 
when my mom was laying in the bed, I would lay my head on her uh, thigh, and I would just ask her questions about the Bible once I got saved. And so I asked her, I said, um, Mom, uh, what, what about this? And <laughs> as soon as it came out of my mouth, my mom was like, mm-mm, that's not the truth at all. Baby, you were saved the moment you gave your life to Jesus, and whether you la-la-la or not, you have a relationship with Jesus, and that person lied to you, and do not believe anything that they said. And I was like, okay. Six months later, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit by myself, no prayer revival, no Tarian service, and I have a prayer language, and it was amazing and fantastic, and that was the end of that. No deep religious experience necessary. Here's what, I want, here, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus wants to free everybody from the religious trappings of the to-do list. Okay, now that you did that, do that, and do this and that, and then that, 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 and that, 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 There is a discipleship process. There are things that we have in place, but let me tell you something. If you've really given your life to Jesus, you will hunger and want to go for it. You won't need us to create laws to bind you to what we're trying to get you to do. Now, let me prove it. Matthew chapter number 11. Matthew chapter number 11, 28 through 30. This may sound familiar to some people. Uh, Then Jesus said... Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. Let me give you the context that he was talking about. All of you who are bound to the religious laws of the religious leaders, come to me. Because you've been carrying a very heavy burden if you're trying to adhere to the Mosaic laws and the 613 other laws that you've read about. Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, my teaching is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Here's what Jesus is saying. Um, uh, I know you've been surrounded in all that religious dogma. If you just come straight to me, it'll be so light. You'll you'll be going... I thought it was more than this. Are you sure that we're done? Oh, 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 we're done right now. I'll give you one of my favorite stories. So um, uh, uh, about four years ago, might be uh, five years ago now, uh, my father-in-law was very, very sick. Uh, My father-in-law hated God, hated him. If you listened to a religious program or watch uh, a Christian network in his home, he would begin cussing, get mad, throw stuff. He was just an angry man who hated God his entire life. My wife, at the age of nine, gave her life to Jesus Christ and began praying for her father from age nine to when the man was 73 years old. He's 73 years old. He is on his deathbed, and I have the opportunity on his deathbed, 12 hours before he died, to lead him to Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you how it happened. The man's laying on the bed. There is, uh, if you've ever heard this, you just can't forget it. There was a death rattle in his throat. He's labored breathing. His organs are shutting down. And I walk in the room. Uh, they told me he, he had just been nervous and fidgety for the last couple of days. He hadn't slept. I walk in the room and I, you know me, I just, dad, the man's dying on his deathbed. Dad, 
I have flown to Jamaica to see him. Dad, Juan Guanman, I came to see you. And he leaned up in the bed and said, I need you to pray for me. He slumped back down in the bed. I said, well, Dad, that's what I came here for. So I sit down uh, next to him on the bed. I grab his hand and I say a prayer for him. And all the fidgeting that they told me that he had been doing for the last 48 hours ceased. And he went to sleep. Not, not died. He went to sleep. Okay. So, so he went to sleep, but, but he was still holding my hand. So I'm trying to be sensitive. And, and so I was trying to, like, ease my hand, you, you know, because he was asleep. And every time I tried to, like, move my hand, he'd wake up and look at me like, Mm-mm, don't do that. <laughs> so, I, so I'm there for, like, 45 minutes, and I'm just... And so the Holy Spirit says, uh, get your Bible and read him, Romans uh, 10, 9. I said, oh, okay. So I, I go get the Bible. And I, again, the Holy Spirit said, read it to him. Here I go. Hey, Dad, read this. <laughs> My dad was like, I can't see that. And I said, okay, let me read it to you. Uh, if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Lord and God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I said, Daddy, do you believe that? He leaned up in the bed and said, I do. I said, well, man, you're saved. And he leaned back in the bed and just kept nodding his head like an affirmation like. Is that it? Like. uh, I don't have to do. Is that it? Now, here's here's religion. Repeat after me. (laughs) Dear Lord, dear Lord. I believe, I believe. Where'd the sinner's prayer come from? What what verse? Where is it? I don't have a problem with the sinner's prayer. What I'm saying is, when there's a man on his deathbed that can hardly talk, you mean to tell me I have to hear him verbally go through this back and forth? And I believe, I believe, he died on the cross, died on the cross, for my sins, for my sins. I believe, I believe, he was born of a virgin, born of a virgin. <gasps> Is it over yet? I'm almost dead. <laughs> nope, nope, got to get you to the end of this. Got three more paragraphs left, Dad. Come on, you won't get into the kingdom without the sinner's prayer. I read him the scripture. He believed it in affirmation. And 12 hours later, he was in the presence of his father. Now, some of you might be like, with your little religious spirit, I don't believe it. So, I'll make it better. A year later, we get hired at Gateway. We're at Gateway. They make us part of their prophetic presbytery. We're in their prophetic presbytery. If you've never been a part of this, it's when people, uh, two or three people come up that have uh, the gift of uh, knowledge and, and the gift of prof- prophecy, and, and they just speak uh, encouraging words into your life. Well, uh, two of the presbyters had come up and said, hey, uh, Tim, you're, is your dad here? And I said, yes, and I pointed to him. They asked about my mom, pointed to her. They asked about my mother-in-law. We pointed to her. Two of the three presbyters had acknowledged uh, three of my four parents. The last presbyter comes up, walks straight up to Juliet, and says, hey, Juliet, um, you know, there's been something said about uh, Tim's dad and mom and your mom, but, but last night when I was in prayer, uh, the, the Holy Spirit uh, told me that your father is pleased with you. Now, I don't have time to go into a whole theological context for this, uh, but there's nobody from hell communicating. 
and coming back to give a heads up that they're proud. Uh, and, and just so you know, uh, God is the God of the living, not the dead. When he says he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, it's because those guys are with him. They are still alive with him, eternally alive with him. He's not talking about dead guys. He's talking about people that are with him. So this guy says, uh, I have written on this paper yesterday that God wanted me to tell you your father is pleased with you. Booyah. (laughs) He's in heaven with Jesus eternally more. 12 hours before he died, he received Christ in the most non-religious way possible because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. When somebody wants to give their life to Jesus, you don't have to worry about all the stuff. Well, I still have a joint in my pocket and I still have, I'm going to get drunk tonight. And my, my, my brother, I'm trying to stop, but I just, I want you to get this. My brother called my dad uh, uh, two years before he died, my brother's preceded me in death, my younger brother. He called my dad uh, 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 two years before he died in the middle of the night while drinking a 40 ounce of beer. He was halfway done with the beer. The Holy Spirit convicts him of his sins. And he's like, I need to get saved. My dad, my, 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 my brother gets ready to call my father. The Holy Spirit tells my father at the same time who was at work because he worked nights at the post office, uh, go outside and get your cell phone, which my dad wouldn't have the cell phone at night because everybody sleep. He goes, why do you want me to get the cell phone? Go get the cell phone. So he goes to get the cell phone. He turns it on. No sooner than it does all its things and it's on, it rings. It's my brother. My brother's like, man, dad, I need to give my life to Jesus. Do I have to wait till Sunday? Religion's in there. Do I have to wait till Sunday? My dad's like, no, you don't have to wait till Sunday. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, you'll be saved. He said, oh, yeah. It's like he remembered. Oh, that's right. I, oh, well, thank you, Dad. He hands the phone, gives his life to Jesus, and finishes his beer. <laughs> hilarious. Thank you, Jesus. Bow. I can tell you this, he wasn't drunk when he died. But if we got, well, here's the thing. Give your life to him. Pour that beer out. Pour the other 40s you have out. I want to see you tomorrow. We're going to have a purge party. I'm going to get you on the altar and get you sober with the laying horn of hands and with some oil. Or the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead could probably handle some alcohol. (laughs) Point number three. Based on the fact that uh, Jesus doesn't like the look of it or the sound of it, the question is, what should we do with it? What should we do with religion? Point number three, get rid of it. Get rid of it. And here's how you get rid of it. Matthew chapter number five, verses 17 through 20, and then we'll be done. Uh, don't misunderstand why I have come. This is Jesus talking. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish 
their purpose. If you have a real Bible or an electronic Bible and you can highlight, please underline that. I came to accomplish their purses, their purpose. I tell you the truth until heaven and earth disappear. Not even the smallest detail of God's law will disappear until its purpose is achieved. So if you ignore the least commandment and teach others to do the same, you will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But anyone who obeys God's law and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. But I warn you, here it is, unless your righteousness is better than the righteousness of the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Here's the last thing that I want to say, uh, and, and then we'll close. Any law that is trying to be held or upheld outside of the context of Jesus Christ's life and teaching will lead to a religious spirit. I'm going to say it again. Any law that you try to hold or uphold outside of the context of Jesus's life and his teachings will lead to a religious spirit. All the law of Moses can be completely summed up in Jesus's life. He begins to teach it. You've heard it said this, but I come to tell you it's this. The law of Moses said this. All of it was external. Do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Do this. Here's what Jesus said. I'm not trying to change your behavior. I'm trying to change your heart. And if I can change your heart, it'll change your mind. If I change your mind, it will lead to a changed behavior. But we're not going to give all these rules and regulations to try to keep you in place because it's never worked. In a culture of Christianity... What I'm very, very thankful for that we're building at Embassy City Church is a group of people that have a desire to want to please God. As opposed to be being forced to want to please God. We've said in our engaged class, which freaks so many people out. Hey, uh, if you're going to be a resident of this community, come to church. But like, don't be here every week. They're like, what? Like, go on vacation. Like, you don't have to plan your vacation in between Sundays. That's a religious spirit. We're going to leave on Monday, come back by Saturday, because, you know, we got to be there on Sunday. Got to be counted in the kingdom. You were counted in the kingdom when you gave your life to Jesus. I'm not even here every Sunday. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. Is there going to be a guest speaker here? I won't be here. Don't be religious. Let the relational Love of Jesus Christ make you commit your life to him because religion doesn't work. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes?